0: Okay, I do not know how I'm ever going to get used to preaching to empty seats, except for they're not totally empty. I've got two people who I strategically position so that I can keep eye contact towards the front. Before I get into the message, I just want to tell you, everyone who is listening out here, whether you're part of the CCA family or not, that if you have any, any needs whatsoever, it's financial, you need food, you need medicine, and you are in a position where you can't afford to get those things, I ask you please to humble yourself, to give us a call, and let us fulfill the call that is on our life, to minister and to give. Um, it won't cost you anything, It will be paid for by the church, and we'll be glad that we did it. We'll leave it on your doorstep, and we won't even let you know we were there. How's that? You can find the church phone number on the website. So if you're listening and you have need, please call, okay? Don't be ashamed. Don't worry. It's all good. All right, um, tonight we are in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verse 20. When we get into the Word, um, you need to realize that what's being fed to you are the principles, guidelines, for healthy living that you need to bring to God When you go into his throne room, when you go to pray, there's that part of the Holy of Holies that we've talked about that is called the table of showbread, that piece of furniture there. And that's where you ask God to fulfill what he has taught you through his word. Now tonight, we're going to be looking at God's admonition or his instructions for children. And you're going to think that since you're not a child, although some would disagree with you, that since you're not a child, that this does not apply to you. And I'm telling you, you've got to have ears to hear. It will apply to you. You are going to learn things tonight that you can take away from here and go before God and ask him to fulfill it in your life and you will see radical change. I just pray that you don't get distracted, that you stay focused. Now that great prophetess, Catherine Hepburn, and I need water, that's what that was all about, said, if you obey all the rules, you'll miss all the fun. And I think a lot of us who grew up in the 60s and 70s thought that was absolutely the case because we rebelled against every institution that there was. And then we asked people why it's hard to believe in God. Well, Soren Kierkegaard said that it's so hard to believe because it's hard to obey. When you know the rules, you realize you can't and don't want to obey them. But from God's point of view, it is better to obey than to sacrifice. You guys remember that verse from Samuel, talking to King Saul? And I would take it one further that obeying from love is better than to obey from fear. I mean, if you're gonna have to obey, then obey. If, if nothing more, because of fear. But better that you could obey from a heart of love because you trust your father and you love him. This is what we want to teach our children. Now, believe it or not, there were children in these Christian homes that Paul is writing to. And the normal result, as you might expect, is the bearing of children. And fortunate are those children who are born into Christian homes where there is love and submission. Remember, we taught about that. We taught about wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. We taught husbands to love your wives sacrificially as Christ loved the church. And a child who is born in that environment is going to do very well. Colossians 3.20, it says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Okay, straightforward. Children, You've got the responsibility to obey your parents. Now, who's a child? Anybody under your house that is a child. Whether you are an adult child, or whether you are a young child, if you're under your parents' roof, you are their child. If they are supporting you, and they're allowing you to live under your roof, you have a responsibility to obey your parents. as we go on, we'll clarify that a little bit more. The word obey means to listen attentively, look up, and then, like Nike says, just do it. Listen attentively and look up. It's like sitting at your dining room table and someone says, hey, Dave, pass the butter. And, and, and Dave looks up from his plate, he, he hears who's talking to him, and then he hands over the butter which in Dave's case is hard to do sometimes. They are to obey in all things, notice that, not simply the things that please them. But what if, are there limitations? Well, of course, parents will never ask them to do something that's wrong. Not if the parents are submitted to the Lord and to one another, and not if they love each other and love the children. But this is the hard part for the child. Not occasional obedience, but continual obedience. Surely a Christian father or mother will not make unreasonable or unjust demands on a child. Nowhere in our modern culture do we show more weakness than just here. Waves of lawlessness sweep over the world because the child was not taught to obey. Now obedience involves attitude, not just actions. And as we have taught, attitude can be chosen. And if you can help shape the attitude, you can influence the behavior. Three things, although this is not an exhaustive list, as a parent that you can expect from your child as you shape their attitude and teach them, are reverence, submission, and gratitude. Let's look at reverence first, okay? Leviticus nineteen three. You want to turn there? Leviticus 19, verse 3. God, through the mouth of Moses, <clears throat> says, Every one of you shall revere his mother and father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Let's just look at that phrase, every one of you shall revere his mother and father. The word revere means to reverence, to regard with deep respect. And by the way, that command and the command in um, Colossians 3.20 is an imperative command. I mean, it's not an option to disobey it. This is required of you. However, it's expected that you will make it happen. We can expect our children to, Parents to treat us with respect. We often forget that children aren't born with a built-in sense of respect. Our children need to be taught to be respectful. Think about it. From birth, kids manipulate the world to get their needs met. They cry, they whine, and that's natural, and it's appropriate when they're a baby and through toddlerhood but it becomes inappropriate at a certain age. I can tell you when your child begins to sigh heavily, roll their eyes, give dirty looks, and are swearing or screaming or being sarcastic or giving you the silent treatment or willfully being disobedient, that is not respect. And nor does God expect you to tolerate it, okay? If you have a teenage son who won't respect you or your rules, you've got a serious problem on your hands. And not only for you, but for society. But not only for you and society, but also for him. A child who does not learn to obey his parents is not likely to grow up obeying any authority. He'll defy his teachers, the police, his employers, and anyone else, anybody else, who tries to exercise authority over him, and the breakdown in authority in our society reflects the breakdown of the authority in the home. Dave Guzik observed, honor for fathers and mothers is an essential building block for the stability and health of all society. If the younger generations are constantly at war with older generations, the foundations of society will be destroyed. Now, we are to expect this in the last time. 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 2 tells us that one of the things that will mark the last days is the willful disrespect and disobedience of our youth. We need to check the disrespect in our homes. Check the disrespect in our homes. Just because it is supposed to be the sign of the times, it doesn't need to be the sign of the times in your home. But how do you do that? Well, it helps to, first of all, remember that your child is not your friend. Does that sound harsh? Your child is not your friend. He's your child. Your job is to coach him to be able to function in the world. This means teaching him to behave respectfully to others, not just you. Now, it's nice if, as you go through this process, you and your child can keep a friendship, but when you've got to choose between the two, you've got to choose to be the parent, because that's what your calling is. Now, I will tell you, by experience and by the Word of God, if you handle this right, the odds are highly in your favor that you will be friends into their adulthood. And if you catch it early, if you catch the disrespect, catch the disobedience early, they'll be your friends even in their teen years. Number two, catch disrespect early and be proactive. If your child is rude or disrespectful, don't turn a blind eye. Get up and let them know that we don't talk to each other that way in this family. If you hear them being rude or disrespectful to your spouse or to a relative or to an elder, you don't just sit idly by, you step up to them and you let them know this is in no way acceptable. There's a story, I think I've told it many times, but here we go again, of the the boy that was uh, arguing with his mother and the father was on the other side of the wall, and he didn't know it. And the boy just hauled off and told his mother that she was stupid and ignorant. And before he could take his next breath, that father was around that corner and had that kid up against the wall. And he asked him, who's stupid? The kid goes, I'm stupid, I'm stupid, I'm stupid, I'm stupid. You've got to have boundaries, guys, and you've got to teach your children what is what's not acceptable. There have to be boundaries, and when boundaries are crossed, there needs to be consequences. Giving consequences when your kids are younger is a whole lot easier than when it's they're older, and it's going to pay off in the long run. It's really important as a parent that if you see your child being disrespectful, that you've got to first admit it to yourself. A lot of parents don't want to do that. They don't believe that their child is being disrespectful, they're just I don't know what they think. They're acting out. But you can't be in denial, and you've got to nip the disrespect in the bud. And if your child is about to enter the teen years, you know, that age when rational thinking and irrational hormones trade places, and you hit the whitewater rapids of child-rearing, you've got to think about the future, because you're going to be tempted to disengage and just to ride it out, and you can't. It's better to be proactive and anticipate areas and times when disrespect will raise its ugly head. Example, wise are the parents when they pre-plan how they're going to address the behavior of their 11-year-old ADD daughter when they become a teenager. They begin planning now. How do you do that? They teach themselves. They learn the skills to prepare for their interactions with her at a later time. We live in the information age, do we not? You can Google just about anything, and you will get a plethora of advice. And this can only help you as you move forward together as a family. But you've got to be prepared, because there's a plethora of advisors out there and not everything is gonna work. You're dealing with a real-life, self-willed sinner. And they're not cookie-cutter when it comes to discipline and change. It's a phrase I like to use often. You've got to monitor their behavior and adjust. Monitor how you are dealing with them, and if it's not working, adjust. Matter of fact, that's good counsel for all relationships, isn't it? especially the hard relationships when things aren't working right, no matter what the age is. If you want a good, healthy relationship, then monitor what you're doing, and if it's not working, adjust it. third tip I'd like to give you is that you need to get on the same page with your spouse. Make sure that one of you isn't allowing the disrespectful behavior while the other is trying to intercede. Kids are masters at playing two ends against the middle and you two have to be on the same page Amos 3:3 says can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction early on in our marriage and relationship we determined that we would be on the same page when it came to dealing with the children that if one of us said but mom said you know can i do this no well mom said I say, okay, just wait here. Let me go check with mom. And how many times has it been, no, that's not what mom said. Don't let them play you two ends against the middle. Be on the same page, because even if they do get you, you're going to have to agree on how you're going to deal with it. And even if you think the other parent is off base for some reason, still keep a unified front. Don't let the child know that they can play you. Sit down with your spouse, talk about what your bottom lines are and what proper boundaries look like and then come up with a plan of action. Put together a list of consequences you might get if your child breaks the rules. That includes a child who is 13 years old or seven years old or 35 years old and won't get out of the basement playing video games. Sit down, decide how you're gonna work on it Together, make a plan of action. Make sure it's age appropriate and that you're separating blatant disrespect from irresponsibility. There's a difference there. There are certain things that will totally irritate you. Perhaps it's uh, leaving your clothes on the floor or they're leaving their clothes on the floor. And you've told them, how many times? How many times, Donnie, what, 10, 15? and there it is again, and you know that they heard you, you know that you've told them, and then you begin to think that perhaps they're putting this in my face. Well, be sure that that's the case. It could be that their learning curve is really long, okay? So the time needs to fit the crime when it comes to reacting We often discipline guys for our own convenience. Have you noticed that? We get angry and we get mad and we get up off the couch finally when we are totally inconvenienced to do it. But remember, that's not your heavenly father. He always disciplined for our good, always. Now, if you determine that the clothes are being left on the floor as being defiance, well, that's a different story requires different consequences. But natural consequences would be that if uh, they're leaving it on the floor and you're the one that has undertaken the the thing to wash them, you can just always pick them up and throw them in the backyard. All right? And uh, when they wonder where they're at, send them on a hunt. Fourth tip I would give you is to be respectful when you're correcting your child. Many parents lose it right there. They lose their moral authority because they handle themselves poorly. All right. They lose their moral authority because they handle themselves poorly. When your child is being disrespectful, you as a parent need to correct them in a respectful manner, which means you've got to have control of yourself. Isn't that one of the fruits of the Spirit? Self-control? Absolutely. And guess what? You know how God's going to develop that self-control in you? by getting you you into trouble with your kid, or getting your kid in trouble with you. You've got to avoid screaming and swearing and sarcasm. You've got to neuter the nouns and sterilize the adjectives. Yelling and getting upset and having your own attitude in response to theirs, it's not helpful. It's hypocritical, and it only escalates their disrespectful behavior. Truth is, if you allow their disrespectful behavior to affect you, you cannot be an effective parent. This will be the merry-go-round that you will go on until they are out of the house. Instead, you can pull your child aside and give them a very clear message of what's acceptable. You don't need to shout. You don't need to embarrass them. Use calm and firm tones. By pulling your kids aside calmly, making your expectations firm and clear, and making the consequences firm and clear, and them knowing that you will follow through with those consequences if necessary, you'll go a far, far way in being successful with your kids. My brother in law, Steve, is mm-hmm great with this. I've seen him do this with his children. I've seen them behave as absolute stinkers and Steve would not lose it. He would just get down to eye level with them and in a whisper just between those two he would deal with them. And it usually changed their behavior. Sometimes not but usually it did. These are incidents that can be used as teachable moments. Number five is talk about what happened afterward and in private. Call it debriefing if you want to. Disciplining your child out in public, not a good idea. But remember, I remember what my mother used to say, just wait till your father gets home, all right? Well, wait till you get home. If your child is disrespectful or rude, talk about what happened. Once things are calm and ask them why they're in the situation they're in. What you're wanting them to do is take ownership for it. You know what, I'm taking the keys away from you. Do you know why? Because you're mean? No, because I told you you needed to be in by 10 o'clock last night and you didn't come in until two in the morning. So we're grounding you, we're taking the keys from you. But what is best is get them to admit that first so you know that they understand. And talk about how the whole thing could have been held, done differently. This is a chance. If you're listening, parent, if you're not reacting in anger with the adrenaline popping your veins out, this is a chance for you as a parent to listen to your child and hear what's going on with them. When the behavior happens, try to stay objective. Try to read between the lines. Listen with your heart. What their words are not saying. Important thing is that they take ownership for their wrong. And once they do, be quick with the reaffirmation. Once they've repented, be quick to reaffirm them. Doesn't mean you necessarily alleviate the consequence. But at least they know that you're not angry anymore. And number six... The last thing you can expect when expecting respect is that you don't take it personally. You ever get in an argument with your kid and and you just take it as a personal attack against you and you wonder why, where did that, that sweet eight year old go? What happened to that little guy that used to climb up on my lap? One of the biggest mistakes parents can make is to take their child's behavior personally truth is, you should never fall into that trap because, say it's your teenager. The teenager next door is doing the same thing. And your cousin's daughter is doing the same thing to her parents. This is typical behavior, but because it's typical doesn't mean it needs to be tolerated. If you blow it off and say they're just being kids, well then you need to step and be the parent. Don't blow it off. All kids have conflicts with their parents. Your role is to just deal with your child's behavior and do it objectively as possible. When parents overreact and they become too rigid when they're under and when they underreact, they're ignoring the behavior or tell themselves it's just a phase, either way. You're not helping your child learn to manage his thoughts or his emotions, okay? And it's not teaching them to be more respectful. Okay, so number one, the thing that you can expect from your child in terms of attitude that influences behavior is respect. Second thing is submission. Look at Proverbs 13.1. Proverbs 13:1 says, "A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke." A wise son heeds his father's instruction. A wise daughter heeds her mother's instruction. You get the idea. If your child is wise, they're going to be listening to you. We all want our children to be wise. Therefore, we're going to expect that they are listening with the intent to obey and then heed the instructions. One of the fruits of the Spirit, as I said a little bit earlier, is self-control. One of the things our children lack and doesn't come to them naturally is self-control. doesn't happen by magic. God uses people and circumstances to develop it. And parent, uncle, aunt, grandparent, you are God's agent of change. After 30 years of ministry and watching children grow up, I understand why we discipline children. It's not to be mean, it's not to impose our will on them or to make them obedient. But the most important reason we discipline children is to teach them self-control. Think of the men and women you know who have successful careers, happy marriages, or great relationships with their kids. Examine them closely, and you will find one common character strength, an ability to control their behaviors, their speech, and their thinking. They have learned that disciplining oneself leads to success. The next time you feel squirmy about discipline, and a lot of parents really, really would rather walk away than to have the confrontation, remember this. You, as a good parent, are in the business of training your sassy, headstrong toddler or self-absorbed teen to learn to live with limits and boundaries and rules. As you impose these on your child, eventually he will learn to impose them on himself. And you say, yeah, but what if I got a 17-year-old who hates school, he won't get up in the morning, and no matter what we do, he just stays in his room playing video games. Or what if that 17-year-old is a 35-year-old Staying in his room all day playing video games. First thing I would do is drop to my knees and begin to pray. I got a serious issue on my hands. Okay. And my father tells me, cast my cares upon him because he cares for me, right? It's a principle. I read in Colossians 1.9, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Oh, Paul, please pray for me now that I be filled with the knowledge of his will. Father, here I am before the table of showbread. What do I need? I need the knowledge of your will in this situation and spiritual understanding and wisdom. I go to Philippians 1.9 and it says, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Before that table of showbread, praying for my own needs, I'm asking, God, I need knowledge and discernment so that my love may abound towards this child and I don't get arrested. Right? The question you should ask the Lord for your teen is, why does he hate school? What's going on here? Does he have a learning disability, Father? Does he have some undiagnosed ADHD? Or is there something going on at school? Is he being bullied? Father, is he taking drugs? What is going on? Reveal the hidden things, Father. Reveal the hidden things. Get to the bottom of why your child hates school and get them treatment if necessary. Now, for the adult child, unless there is a a mental illness or some other decapacitating issue, in which case, again, you pray for discernment before you make a move. And let me reiterate that. You pray for discernment before you make a move. But for the functioning in the right mind child, you've got to remind yourself, who does this house belong to? And if you're going to live under my roof, then you need to be a contributing member of the family. And then you set up boundaries, and you give clear consequences if those boundaries are not obeyed. You need to get up and go get a job, buddy. I'm going to give you three weeks. No, I'll I'll give you two weeks. I'll, I'll give you three days. And you need to get out, and you need to go find a job. And as long as I know that you're hustling and you're, you're beating feet on the sidewalk, we're good. I'll even help you. I'll drive you to your appointments. I'll teach you how to interview. If I need to, I'll even buy you a suit of clothes. But if that addiction to that video game still holds up, you're not helping him or society by coddling them. All right, this is what I'm going to do for you, Brutus. Okay, I'm going to rent an apartment for one month for you. I'm going to pay your deposits for you. I'll move your furniture in there, and then after that, you are on your own. Is that harsh? No, it's not harsh. You're helping them grow up. They might kick and scream. They might ignore you, but you've got to stick to your guns. You've got to be in this for the long haul. It's going to get miserable for a time before it gets better. But the more he runs things, the more miserable you all are going to be. And he needs to know that you are in control, not him. Sounds harsh. All it means is that you've got to teach your child to listen and obey when you mean it. You see, doesn't life teach you that? Right? If you didn't learn how not to steal when you were in fifth grade swiping erasers out of your friend's desk, what's gonna happen to you when you're swiping other things out of a convenience store? All right, they're not gonna take the time to discipline you. They're gonna send you to jail. That's the idea. Healthy discipline occurs when a parent helps a child yield to his authority. And that can be done while preserving the child's strong sense of self-respect. What you're doing here is seeking to break the will, but not the spirit. You're trying to shape the will and protect the spirit. If someone cannot receive the deserved correction of man, you can be sure that they're not going to receive the correction from their heavenly father. All right, the third Parents that you can expect. The third attitude that you want to help develop is gratitude, thankfulness. First Timothy five, three and four. Turn there if you like. Paul writes to Timothy, <clears throat> young pastor. He says, honor widows who are really widows, but if any widow has children, is not what we're talking about here, guys, children and grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents. This is good and acceptable before God. Repairing parents is a sign of great gratitude. And it is scripturally expected. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but gratitude doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come naturally to kids. It doesn't come naturally to adults. But that doesn't mean we can't learn. Now, to teach it, you've got to model it, okay? If all you can do is preach it, you've got nothing. But if you can teach it, then you can model it. It's easier than you think. When's the last time you said thank you to any of your children? Thank you. When's the last time you gave them a compliment, did something just out of the blue to bless them? Saying thank you for whatever is as a, as a, as a demonstration of gratitude. Gratitude is key if you want your child to live a life of contentment the most discontent people are those who are less thankful but have all the things to be thankful about. Um, During this uh, quarantine for the coronavirus, I read a story about a a Hollywood, famous Hollywood movie star living with his famous Hollywood movie star wife in uh, 46 acres, complaining that the two of them had to be with their child 24-7 now. They had to rear their child in 46 acres, living in luxury. Never had to do this before. Do you know the pushback they got? (laughs) I go, you think you got problems? I'm working two jobs. I got three kids, and I can't pay my insurance bill. I can't pay my car bill, and I'm with my kids 24-7, and you're complaining about being on a 46-acre ranch? Please give me a break. Now, it might be hard to imagine your 13-year-old who complains about every little thing actually living a life of gratitude and service, but it's possible. You need to teach it, you need to model it. Discontent, ungrateful parents often raise discontent, ungrateful children. If you are a complainer, then you're probably teaching your kids to complain too. Behind every grateful child is a grateful parent who showed them what gratitude looked like and why it was important. Because more is caught than thought. Experience speaks louder than words. We can talk about different circumstances like hunger and need, but unless kids experience and are immersed in the realities, they just don't get it. Point here, is that kids need to be taken out of their comfort zones and shown what life is like for so many. And it doesn't need to stop there, because you can go on a missions trip or take them down to the food bank or do some great humanitarian deed, but if it's just one and done, then they may appreciate the fact that they got more than anybody else, but you haven't created a heart that is compassionate and giving. They're not gonna get it. Uh, We used to take Danae and Heather um, on missions trips and minister to people who lacked food and were homeless. And this just wasn't a once in a while thing. This was part of our life. And when they would walk among these kids who had no food or someone who didn't have even a bed to sleep on at night, they experienced life on a different level. And it gave them a heart of gratitude. Now once they begin to see how much they have in contrast to how much the other person doesn't have, then that's the opportunity to start talking about gratitude and how we should respond. Gratitude takes shape when we experience and understand that there are people in need and your job is to help meet that need as much as you can. All right, so why should we expect obedience in the forms of reverence, submission, gratitude? Let's go back to Colossians 3.20, and we'll finish this up. Why should we expect obedience from our children in the form of reverence, submission, and gratitude? It's in the second phrase. This is well-pleasing to the Lord. This is well-pleasing to the Lord. When a child respects their parents' authority, they're respecting God's order of authority in other areas of life. The idea of an order of authority and submission to an order of authority are very important to God. They're part of his very being. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus said of his Father, what? That he is greater than all. He said, I always do what the Father tells me to do. Right? There is a hierarchy, but it's a hierarchy of roles. It isn't hierarchy of importance and value and worth. It's just fulfilling roles. The first person of the Trinity is submitted to by the second person of the Trinity. And inherent in those titles is a relationship of authority and submission. Our failure to exercise biblical authority and our failure to submit to biblical authority isn't just wrong and sad. Do you guys realize that it's sin It's sin against the very nature of God. Remember what God told Saul through the prophet Samuel? Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. He puts a great deal of importance on obedience. Now, there's a better way. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, Paul says, We make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to the Lord. Why are children being taught to obey? Why is that important? Why is it good for them? Because it's well-pleasing to the Lord. And Paul says, We make it our aim. This is our goal. This is my life mission, to be well-pleasing to God. That term, well-pleasing, is one that was used to describe slaves who were passionate about pleasing their masters. And that was Paul's highest goal. And it needs to be for every believer. Like Rick Warren said, the goal of life is the smile of God. The goal of life is the smile of God. Do you feel God's smile on your life? Do you have a peace that even in these uncertain times passes understanding? Are you enjoying your relationship with him? Do you uh, meditate every once in a while on that eternity where you will be with him forever? Where righteousness, peace, and joy will reign? You have the smile of God. And I think that's what we... That's what we all want. All right, Dottie, you ready? We're gonna close the service now. I'm still on, right? Father, I lift up all those who heard the message tonight. And I ask that you work out your perfect will in their life. And I ask, Father, that they would feel your smile. They may have realized that in their own life, God, whether it be with their boss or with their wife or husband, that there is an attitude of ingratitude, that there is a disrespectful attitude, that there is a disobedient attitude. And right now, Father, as they bow their heads and their hearts before you, I ask you to forgive them of their sin. And I ask, Father, you to restore them by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I pray for healings in homes, Father, where there are conflict or where there is conflict between child and parent and where parents just seem overwhelmed by a strong-willed child. I pray that you give them strength and perseverance and endurance, Lord, that they outlast their child. I pray, Father, that you give them wisdom and discernment and spiritual understanding in knowing what is going on. I pray you lead them to resources Father that will help them to do the right thing to stand firm and to lovingly correct their child that you may be glorified that the house may be filled with your peace. I thank you so much that we have your word. Thank you so much that it is your desire and you give us your smile. Pray this in Jesus' name. Okay.